This is Self Care You with Scott, and today we level up our conversation with author of the motivational book, Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life, Terry Tucker. There is one thing that's for sure about Terry, and that he is a highly motivated individual. Right away, Terry and I connected as he's an NCAA Division I basketball player and a master's degree graduate of Boston College. And we at Self Care You like guests who have relatable experience and could potentially help our listeners. Terry is exactly this person. In his professional career, he was a marketing executive, an entrepreneur, a SWAT team hostage negotiator, a high school basketball coach, a motivational speaker, and for the last 10 years, a cancer warrior. Due to his journey battling cancer, Terry had his foot amputated in 2018 and his leg later amputated in 2020, and this was right around the time that COVID introduced itself. Yet Terry is still here making a positive impact in people's lives by sharing his real life experiences. This is Self Care You, and we're about to level up with motivational speaker, author, and cancer warrior, Terry Tucker. What's good, everyone? Thanks for sticking around for another episode of the Self-Care You podcast, and we have an amazing one with Terry Tucker today. But firstly, I wanted to take this moment to thank everyone who supports Self-Care You, everyone who supports the Level Up Living programs, the Level Up Leadership programs. Thank you for those that get over to selfcareyou.net and check out everything that we have. And thank you to those that buy the shirts to try and help support our programs. We really appreciate it, especially for all those that are listening from other countries. Uh, you know, primarily our biggest listenership is coming from the States. And we want to take this opportunity to shout out a couple people. Kevin Harry, I really appreciate you, my man. Thank you for all the support. Miriam, we really appreciate all your support as well. Uh, if you're listening, just know that we really appreciate everything that you've done for us. If you're trying to get in touch with us at Self Care You, be sure to get over to our Instagram page. It's at Self Care You underscore level up. You can send us an email at Self Care You podcast at gmail.com or better yet, just shoot over to Self Care You.net. Today's episode is pretty amazing. We have Terry Tucker. He's a Division One basketball player. Uh, he's a Boston College grad, but he also played with Michael Jordan. He played with Isaiah Thomas. It's a pretty amazing conversation about basketball, but on another front, we talk about life. We talk about adversity that he's going through, and he's a pretty amazing individual. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go. Let's level up. So today on the show, we have Terry Tucker. Terry, how are you doing today? I'm great, Scott. Thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you. Yeah, I appreciate you. Terry, uh, why don't you offer a little bit of a business card of who you are and where you're from? Sure. So I was born on the south side of Chicago. I am the oldest of three boys. Uh, you can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. I have a brother who's six foot seven, who was a pitcher for the University of Notre Dame, another brother who's six foot six, who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six foot five. So I sort of joke that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayers chance you were going to see anything that was going on in front of you. But uh, our five foot eight inch mother was always the boss. And so it didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were, whatever mom said, that's the way it went. So I graduated from the Citadel as the first person in my family to graduate from college. And I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. 
And I look back now and how realize how little I knew about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain in their marketing department. Unfortunately, I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as how my mother cared for my father and my grandmother who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Professionally, as I said, started out at Wendy's, then I moved to hospital administration, and then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And part of that was I was an undercover narcotics investigator. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator as well. Then I started my own school security consulting business. I coached girls high school basketball when we lived in Texas. For the last 10 years, I've been dealing with cancer. And then I guess just finally to round it out, my wife and I have been married for almost 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer branch in the military here in the U.S., the Space Force. Ooh, okay. My man, geez, Terry, I knew you came with experience, but after hearing you say all that, I feel tired just thinking about all the things you've gone through. And we're glad that you're here on Self-Care You because it, you know it's about having people that come from experience. So we appreciate you. Um, Terry, you know, I'm really interested and I know our listeners are interested because they know I'm a basketball guy. I'm a basketball coach. I coach at the prep level. I played basketball at college and, and we're just interested to hear about this basketball uh, life that you come from, because first of all, as a basketball coach, uh, you talking about your brothers, I try and like, if I can get one brother in the gym, it might mean that I can get the seven, the second brother who's like six, seven in the gym. And then get the next brother who's six five in the gym. I'm sure you guys were always in the gym at, at an early age, eh? We were. We really were. And, and I was lucky. You know, I, I say I grew up on the south side of Chicago, and I did. But I did spend a little time in Columbus, Ohio. And that's really when I started to play basketball. And I was incredibly fortunate that I was able, and, and this is just by sheer luck, I got put on the basketball team with the son of the assistant coach, at Ohio State University. Oh, and so geez. that kind of lit my fire. I had access to, you know, going to see Ohio State practice. I had access to, to going to the basketball camps and things like that. So that really started it for me. And my brothers and I are incredibly competitive. They were here at the start, right before the start of the school year. And the three of us were together for three days. We never turned on the television. We never left the house. And we just told stories and laughed about all our times, you know, growing up, throwing the football, throwing the baseball, playing basketball. It was an absolute blast. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about college. You know, you said you went and played D1. And and this is really interesting for the guys that listen to the podcast that I, you know, work with and we train with. We just did our first Level Up Leadership program uh, not too long ago. And we talk about you know, the surroundings of not only being a good athlete, but being a good student, being a good human being, understanding the mindset and, and mental health things that are going to happen to you in the course of adversity. And I think this is a perfect conversation to have, you know, someone like yourself who, who played basketball at a high level, talk about kind of highs and lows that you go through when going into college and playing. Yeah, I was lucky, you know, growing up in Chicago, I, I played against some really great players. Uh, probably the best player in our conference was a, a gentleman by the name of Isaiah Thomas who ended up going yeah. to Indiana <laughs> yeah, playing for, for Bobby Knight and, and won a national championship and then went on to the Pistons and won a couple NBA championships. So I, I had the great opportunity to play against some great competition. 
I was originally going to go to the University of Toledo. I had made my official visit. They had offered me a scholarship. I had verbally said yes, but here in the United States, the NCAA uh, National Collegiate Athletic Association governs when you can sign and things like that. So it was not during the signing period. So I was not allowed to sign. And a couple of weeks after I'd been on my official visit, Toledo calls me up and says, you know, we're not sure we've got a scholarship for you. We'll call you back when we know. And they called back two weeks later and said, hey, we have the scholarship. And, you know, I was a kid. I, you know, I was yeah. a 17-year-old kid at the time. And, and my dad kind of pulled me aside and he was like, you know, do you want to go to a school where they offer you something and then they take it back and then they offer it to you again? Right. And like I said, I was a kid. I'm like, I don't know. I just want to play basketball. You know, I mean, it was, yeah. I was not real deep at that point in my life. And so I thought about it for a while and I thought, you know, you're right. I, I don't want to play for somebody like that because they don't have my best interest in mind. And so I, what was my second choice? My second choice was the Citadel. And I played for a guy by the name of Les Robinson at the Citadel. And Les, as far as I know, is still the only coach or the only person to coach three different NCAA Division I basketball teams and be the NCAA Division I athletic director at three different schools. He was uh, East yeah. Tennessee State, the Citadel, and North Carolina State. And so he was just an incredible man. He cared as much about your academics and your character development as he did about basketball. And so... I was I was incredibly lucky. You know, I think it was one of those things where God said, yeah, I know you want to go here because it's close to Chicago and your family can see you play. But I think a better opportunity would be for you to play at the Citadel. So I went to the Citadel Southern Conference. But one of the neat things and, and one of the greatest things that I had happened to me is over the course of one weekend, we played what was called the North South Doubleheader in the Charlotte Coliseum. They took two teams from North Carolina which just ha happened to be North Carolina, North Carolina State, and two teams from South Carolina, which just happened to be the Citadel and Furman. And okay. we played around Robin because we were both in the same conference. And so Friday night, this is 1982, I played against North Carolina. It was Michael Jordan's freshman year. No and way. so get to play against Jordan. He was not hmm. the Michael Jordan we all know at that time. Right, um, yeah. James, yeah, James Worthy was, and Sam Perkins were kind of the two big guns at the time. But North Carolina goes on to win the national championship. And then the next night, Saturday night, I get to play against Jim Valvano and North Carolina State, who in 1983 won the national championship. <laughs> so in the course of one weekend, I got to play against two national championship teams. And I'll tell you just a quick funny story, and, and, and then I'll ask, let you ask your next question. But my brother, the one I described who played uh, baseball at Notre Dame, became a basketball coach in Chicago and coached Michael Jordan's two sons. Wow. And so he said, one day I'm at practice and I'm teaching the, the players a, a new play and I look up and nobody's paying attention to me. And he said, so I looked where they were looking and Jordan had come into the gym. It was towards the end of practice. And he came into the gym as a dad. I'm here to pick up my kids and take them home. And my brother looked at him and said, Hey, Michael, you're a little bit of a distraction. Would you mind stepping out in the hall until practice is over? And Jordan and his wife were incredibly gracious people. And they were, he was like, absolutely, coach. I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to be a distraction. I'll wait in the hall until after practice. And my brother later thought, 
you know, I'm probably the only coach in the history of basketball that ever kicked <laughs> Michael Jordan out of practice. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just thinking that because I'm a big Michael Jordan guy. So I imagine uh, you must have been a, a Bulls fan growing up as a Chicago kid. Yes. Yes. I, of course, I was growing when, when I was a Bulls fan. They were not very good. Not good. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, I grew up as a Bulls fan until the Raptors. Uh, you know, we're born in Toronto and then obviously sure. you have to stick there, but what a crazy story. Yeah. As a, as a coach too, you know, a lot of my guys that go to these prep levels, they go to these AUU tournaments and you constantly see these videos of like, you know, Dwayne Wade comes in or LeBron comes in, he's watching his kids play and, and the focus is just always on them. And sometimes, you know, when, where I am, you know, uh, Jamal Murray might come into the gym cause we're fairly close to where he is. And it's just like, everyone's locked eyes on him. But to be able to like put that little pin on your shoulder and say, I had to ask Michael Jordan to uh, leave one of my practices, <laughs> that's pretty amazing. Um, you know, I can already tell this is what I loved about, um, you know, connecting with you and this conversation that we're going to have is because it's, it's experience. And that's what self-care you is about. It's about providing individuals, uh, you know, relatable experience, things they might be able to connect with, someone they might be able to say, hey. I'm very much like Terry, you know, I went through this situation like him, uh, you know, I'm really trying to, you know, get to this next level, whatever it may be. So we appreciate everything that you're offering. Uh, I have one question specifically for, for my basketball guys, as they get into college, I'm interested if you could just kind of give them a little bit of what it was like from the high school level or your rep level, and then the transition into college and, you know, I, I guess about like work demand and how much more effort you have to put in things of that nature. Could you give a little bit about that? Yeah, certainly aim itself as you continue to progress up becomes faster. And, yeah. you know, I, I, that was one of the things that, you know, going from high school basketball and high school basketball in Chicago was pretty good basketball, but then to go, you know, play against, you know, Clemson and North Carolina and North Carolina state and Marshall and some of these other teams, it was really fast. And, you know, you adapt, you, your your ability gets better and, and you figure that out. But when I was playing, and again, I, it's been, I'm, I hate to say this, but it, it literally has been 40 years since I played basketball. When I played basketball, there was no shot clock. There was no three-point shot and things like that. So the game was much different. But, you know, the, the thing that I, when I, the Citadel where I went is a military college. So I not only had to balance the academics with the athletics, but I also had to throw the military in on top of that. So that made it even more difficult. I mean, today's athletes, my uh, my nephew was a punter on the University of Illinois football team. And just the demands where, where student athletes take classes in the summer now so that they can free themselves up to not have as, as difficult a workload during the, the season. I didn't have that. I mean, I was taking, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 hours during basketball season. And, you know, you're taking uh, books on the plane. You're taking books on the bus. You're you're doing things like that. My daughter played at the Air Force Academy and would literally they would bring tutors with them uh, on the road to, to help the, the student athletes, you know, make sure they did well in chemistry and physics and, you know, astro engineering and all the crazy subjects that our daughter had to take and stuff like that. So there's a tremendous demand on being a student athlete. And I know a lot of, especially all these kids, especially when you're young, you think you're going to make it to the next level. And so you do all these things, you know, you play AAU ball, you, you know, you go, uh, your parents move to another state and all that kind of stuff. 
if you're good enough to make it at the next level, wherever you are, you're going to be found. Somebody's going to find you. And yeah. so don't get all excited that, you know, I got to get, if you're that good to make it to the next level, and, and let's face it, the odds are you're not that good. So I'm not telling you not to pursue your dreams. I'm absolutely telling you that. But I'm telling you to develop the things that athletics teach us, you know, character development, how to lose, how to be a good teammate. Those are all things that we learn as part of team sports. And a lot of people think, no, it's just about me and basketball. And that's the problem. It's not about you. You're unique, but you're not special. And I, Gino Oriama, the girls or women's basketball coach at Connecticut, probably one of the most successful teams in sports, used to say, I will treat you fairly, but I will not treat you equally. And I remember when I was being recruited, one of the people who recruited me is Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, who was a Duke, but he recruited me when he was at West Point at Army. And, and I remember him telling the story about how Bobby Knight was his coach. And, and Knight used to tell him, if you shoot in this game, I'm putting you on the bench. So, I mean, here's this great coach who in, in college had his role and his role was to bring the ball up and distribute. It was not to shoot. And so, you know, you kind of have to understand your role on a team, just like you're going to have to understand your role on any team you are a part of as you grow up and you develop. Yeah, you know what? That's pretty amazing perspective. We're trying to teach our players all the time, not only the impacts of, of being a good student and how much work you have to put in just on the student side of things, but then you got to go to work on the ball side of things for a small, small window of opportunity. Right. Uh, we live in a hotbed now. Toronto is like becoming a hotbed for basketball. And you can see just so many guys trying to make it. And so many guys not understanding that that window is so small that you have to have a plan B, a plan C and even a plan D because, you know, everything changes. Um, with that being said, you know, obviously the course of your life changed a little bit. And I'm really interested to hear about, you know, this time you spent as a SWAT team hostage negotiator. I just think it's amazing. Uh, I'm thinking like you must be really good at de-escalation, right? Well, I, I learned to be good at de-escalation. <laughs> you know, I, I think like anything else, you know, it, it, if you look at my resume, it kind of doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, first two jobs were in business. And then I made this major pivot in my life to law enforcement. And the reason for that, if you understand that, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. And he was in Chicago during, you know, the height of the gangs, Al Capone and some of these guys that were, were shooting up the town. And he was actually shot in the line of duty with his own gun. It was not a serious injury. He was shot in the ankle. Uh, but my dad, my dad was an infant at the time. Always remember the stories my grandmother told of that knock on the door of Mrs. Sucker, grab your son, come with us. Your husband's been shot. So when I expressed an interest in following my grandfather's footsteps, my dad was absolutely not. You're going to go right. to college. You're going to major in business. You're going to get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. But that's what my father wanted me to do. That wasn't what I believed my purpose or my passion in life was. So as I mentioned, he was dying when I graduated. So I had a choice. I could have said, sorry, dad, you know, I'm going to go blaze my own trail or out of love and respect for you, I will go into business. And that's what I did. And I sort of joke. I did what every good son did. I waited till my father passed away and I followed my own dreams and got right. into law enforcement. But the, the SWAT team situation was 
was a really was a lot of fun for me. Most people don't understand SWAT is kind of divided up into two groups. One are the the tactical teams. Those are the people with all the guns and the big armored cars and the toys and all that stuff. And then the negotiators, which do their best to talk somebody out so that the tactical team doesn't get to use all their toys and the things like that that, the, that they have access to. So yes, it was a tremendous experience for me. I learned a lot. I worked with a lot of great people. Uh, and I like to think that uh, hopefully I, I helped some people and maybe save some lives along the way. Yeah, I can imagine it's it's fairly highly stressful, uh, just, you know, making sure that you have the right thing to say. But that's a knack that I think uh, only specific people have, which is I don't I, like I do believe, obviously, that you could you could learn the skill and teach yourself over and over again. But I think you got to have a little bit of something. I'm not sure what that something is, but you got to have a gift of the gab or be able to really sense emotion or something along those lines. Um, yeah. But Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. But anyways, with that being said, I feel like it's one of those things that you really have to be on guard all the time. Right. I mean, you need to be, you know, and and you're kind of you're kind of right, because people always used to say to us, you know, you know, great job. You talk somebody out. What we really did was listen people out. And and that's that's a big difference. When, when I wrote my book, I, I put a whole chapter in my book about listening and people are like, well, listening, of course, we all listen. We don't. Most of us listen to respond versus listening to understand. And that was one big thing that that we, you know, we learned. We would ask people open-ended questions and they would just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And then we would parrot that back to them and we would attach an emotion to it. And that's where negotiating got to be kind of exhausting because you had to get down in the in the weeds. You had to get down in the mud with these people. And, and you had to develop, and the, this was the biggest thing, and this is true of any relationship, you know, coach, player, you know, parent, child, husband, wife, boss, subordinate, you had to develop trust. And yeah. the only way to do that is to get that person to, to understand that you understood what they're going through. And that meant attaching a feeling to what they were saying. And you had to get that feeling right. I mean, if somebody was ranting and raving and you said, oh, you seem a little upset, oh, you totally missed the boat there. I mean, you totally missed what, what this was all about. And so now you're not building trust with that person. And the other thing we did to people is we never lied to them. People would say to us, hey, look, I'll, uh, I'll put the gun down and I'll come out, but you got to promise me that I'm not going to go to jail. And we would have to say, well, I'm sorry, when you do come out, you are going to go to jail. And then we would try to deflect the conversation to something more, you know, something happier, something better and get them away from thinking about the negative. So, yeah, there was a there was a lot of nuance to to what we did as negotiators. And, and you learned you learned it. I, I mean, it was really kind of on the job training. Yeah, no doubt. Jeez, it seems like it's, you know emotionally like you you feel probably like you're running a marathon at the end of the day just being in one of those conversations and you know trying to talk someone out of that spot and you know you're a very experienced individual you now you know jumped into being an author we're very interested in your book here why don't you tell us a little bit about your book yeah the book is called sustainable excellence the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life and it's a book really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player who had moved to Colorado with her fiance. That's where my wife and I live. And the four of us had had dinner one night. 
And I remember saying to her after dinner that I was excited that she was living close and I could watch her find and live her purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man reach out to me uh, on social media and he asked me what I thought were the most important things that he should learn, not to just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful in life. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those are not, those are not important. Those are incredibly important things that we should all look at, but I wanted to see if I could go deeper with them. So I took some time and eventually had these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I kind of stepped back and I was like, well, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So I've been battling cancer for the last 10 years. And after I had my leg amputated, um, I was literally, while I was healing, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories. And they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how the book came to be. Wow, it's pretty amazing. Well, if you get the opportunity, I had the opportunity to kind of get a little summary of it. It's a pretty amazing book. You can definitely guarantee I'm going to get one of these copies. I definitely want to read it. You should do the same thing if you're listening to this podcast right now. Uh, Terry, I know you just mentioned it for us, so uh, I would like to touch base in it. You're a cancer warrior. warrior. You've been battling. Uh, you know, what's your journey been like? How's it been? Um. It's been difficult. Uh, Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Great Britain during World War II, used to have a saying that if you're going through hell, keep going. Uh, I think most people would consider my journey kind of a, a hellish type of task. And it's it's really started out with a callus that broke open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. It was right in the middle of basketball season. So initially, I didn't think much of it because as you know, Scott, you're on your feet a lot as a coach. Yep. But after a few weeks of it not healing, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me, just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it, no dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern, but he sent it off to pathology. And that really kind of started me down the road. I have a very rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. Uh, I was put on after I had this, the tumor cut out of my foot, was put on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. The side effects of the interferon were that it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that was not a cure. That was, as my doctor said, we're trying to kick the can down the road. After that five years, my body became so toxic because of the drug. I ended up in the intensive care unit with a fever of 108 degrees, which is usually not compatible with being alive. Somehow I survived that. As Soon as I stopped taking the interferon, the disease came back in the exact same spot on my foot. That was 2018, I had my left foot amputated. Two more surgeries in 2019, 2020, an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone, 
And my only recourse right in the middle of the COVID pandemic was to have my left leg amputated above the knee. And I found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I am still being treated for every three weeks. And I know that sounds like an ugly and dark journey, and it certainly has been. But I'll tell you this much. I've learned a couple of things. Number one is, I don't think you really know yourself until you've been tested by some form of adversity. And number two, I honestly believe cancer has made me a better human being. Jeez, man, I'm really sorry to hear. Like, for someone who I just met, and I told you at the start when we when we first started talking, I said, you and I have so much in common. I think like you and I could have a podcast for hours and hours and hours. And I think like from the basketball front, from just I think you're a very intriguing individual. I think you are motivating the, the little research that I've done about you shows that you're exactly what I aspire to be at some point. Um, and I appreciate you sharing that with us because those are some deep details that you know, not everyone is willing to to give to an audience that they've never heard from. And I think our audience would very much appreciate that. So thank you so much. I, I guess the easy question is, and tell us how you deal with adversity. You're the right person to be telling us how adversity is dealt with and, and some good steps to take should someone who's listening to this podcast be dealing with a situation very much like yourself or any adversity in general. Yeah, I, I think you have to basically face adversity head on and 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 deal with it one day at a time and and you know your mind is the biggest I, I talked about Bobby Knight who uh, Isaiah Thomas played for and when I would see Isaiah Thomas in the summer when we would go both go back to Chicago I would ask him you know what was Knight like and he, and he said you know Knight loves his players he's incredibly intense he said but Knight has this saying and it goes like this mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this great coach teaching elite athletes to be great basketball players on the court. But what he's really saying with that quote is that your mind or your mindset is four times more important than anything your physical body is ever going to do. And so I, I had a nurse recently ask me what it was like to have my foot amputated and my, my leg amputated. And I told her it's, it's been very difficult. I'm still learning how to walk with a prosthetic leg. I'm not doing a very good job of it, to be honest with you. But what I told her was, is that cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind, cancer, cancer can't touch my heart, and cancer can't touch my soul. And Scott, that's who I am. That's who you are. That's who everybody's listening to us is. And so we spend all this time worrying about our bodies, but we don't spend too much time worrying about the things that we really are, our heart, our mind, and our soul. So I really think adversity is one of those things that kind of hones us, that that sort of makes the tip of the spear that much more pointy. And, and I'll, I'll end with this story. Right? And, and as far as I can know, this is a true story. I've really done some research on it. There was a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s who did an experiment with rats. And he took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long these rats could tread water. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as the rats were getting ready to sink and to drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off and let them rest for a while. And then he took the exact same rats, put them in the exact same tank of water. And the second time around, those rats treaded water on average for 60 hours. Holy. Now think about that. 
The first time, 15 minutes. I'm just not going to fail. I'm going to die. The second time around, 60 hours, which said to me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives. We have to believe that no matter what we're doing today, no matter where we are, sometime down the road, life is going to get better for us. And number two, just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever thought they could. I have a friend of mine who's a former Navy SEAL, and the SEALs talk about their 40% rule, which basically says that if you're at the end of your rope, if you can't go on, if you've hit that wall of adversity, you're only at 40% of your maximum, and you still have another 60% left in reserve to give to yourself. So the next time you don't think you can go on, remember, you have that storehouse, you have that ability to continue to go on even when you don't think you can. Yeah. Wow. I just wanted to let that sink in. It's such a good, you know, a good advice and it's good direction, good perspective. And while you were talking, I just wrote down resilient. My man, Terry, that's what you are, man. You're a resilient individual. And that's what we all are trying to be is being resilient so that we can deal with the things that come, the adversity that comes our way and make sure that we take that negative and turn it into a positive. And that's exactly what you do every day, my man. Wow. Terry, you're a motivational speaker. We can hear it. We know about that. And I'm, I'm definitely sure that there's motivational speakers that are listening to our conversation. Um, you know, what, what advice would you give them to, if they're trying to get started in their, in their conversations and sharing, you know, making sure obviously that they're sharing their positive nature, what, what advice would you give? I I would tell them this, I, you know, and, and, and I don't like going on these podcasts and making it seem like I have all the answers. I, I don't. I, I mean, there there's no S on my chest. I don't have a cape. I, I What I try to do is say, this has been my experience. This is what has worked for me. And I'm giving this to you. And if something in there works for you, take it, incorporate it into your life. If nothing works for you, develop your own set of principles, values, whatever you want to call it and make those work for you. If one thing works for you, take that. So I I don't want people to to think that I have all the answers. I I don't. I think the two most important things you can be as a motivational speaker is one, humble, and two, have a tremendous amount of character. Because you have to be able to relate to people on all kinds of different levels. You have to let people understand that, you know what, I'm just giving you what I have. I don't have all the answers. But I'm telling you, I've got some stuff that works. And if you can use it, if it helps you, then by all means, take it. And then give it to somebody else. And then give it to somebody else. And then pay it forward, so to speak. So I think that's incredibly important. Just be genuine. Be you know, People see fraud for what it is. You know, If you're trying to BS your way through something and you really can't walk the walk in addition to talking the talk, people are going to see through that. So just be a genuine human being. And I think you can be a great motivational speaker. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And there's just so many things that you say that immediately, like, I get, you know, the the box checks, box checks, like, for myself, and what we teach, uh, we just had our level of leadership, we teach the gap philosophy, which is, you know, a giving nature, and not being afraid to help somebody or be able to provide knowledge, if you have that, uh, being authentic to yourself and staying positive, right? And that's how we we generally try and have our players work the line is make sure that you're staying inside that gap philosophy, which is pretty much kind of what you just said for these motivational speakers. Terry, I guess the question is, if you had some advice that you could give, 
you know, a cancer patient that's first starting out with, with some of their situations, what would that advice be? That's a great question. Um, I guess I've always wanted my life to be shaped by the decisions that I made, not by the decisions that somebody else made for me or that I didn't make. And I've seen a tremendous amount of cancer patients basically turn their entire life over to a doctor. And I've seen people who are, you know, the doctor's like, you know, there's nothing we can do for you, you know, go home and die. I, I, I'm no doctor. I, I, I've never been in medical school. I have no me medical background at all. But this is what I'm going to say to people. Doctors don't know your heart. They don't know your mind. They don't know your soul. They don't know that your son's getting married next you know, summer. They don't know that your granddaughter is going to graduate from college next year. They don't know the things that motivate you. So anytime somebody says to me, oh, you've only got six months, I'm not telling you not to believe them. I mean, they, they're good at what they do, but they don't know who you are. And when my dad was diagnosed with NC, breast cancer back in the 1980s when they had no idea how to treat a man with breast cancer he lived three and a half years with basically a terminal diagnosis and i believe he did because he had a purpose in life he was in real estate and he worked up till two weeks before he died so i would say that you know yeah i know you're scared and that's okay but take that fear turn it inside burn it as fuel use it as energy to make you a stronger and more resilient individual. And I know there's people out there that are saying, oh yeah, Terry, you know, you, you've been a SWAT hostage negotiator and a cop and a division one basketball player. You know, I could never do that. I am the biggest wimp in the world. If I can do this, I promise you, I don't care who you are, you can do this as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. I feel like you know, your motivational speaking is it comes through just from regular conversation, just the energy that you bring. And I, I that's what I get a lot from some individual individuals that tell me like your energy is just so upbeat. And I think that's some of the stuff, too, is you always got to be willing to to just fight, willing to deal with it. You know, my mom had breast cancer and they gave her uh, a number that, you know, didn't sit well with her at all. And uh, my mom's still alive. And they, you know, there was a definitely an expiry date and she didn't care at all. She just decided, I don't care. This is my life. I have kids. I have to do my thing. And, and she continued to move on. So that yeah. will can definitely push you through as well. It, it really can. And, and I think exactly what you're talking about can be summed up in one word. And that's grit. Yeah. How much grit do you have? And I can promise you, you have a whole lot more grit than you think you do. You just don't want, you're afraid, you know, you're concerned, you're worried, you're anxious, all these things, throw that, throw that stuff out. Use your mind, take that ugliness, take that pain, take that anxiety and use it to your benefit. Don't run from it. I mean, we're conditioned to, we don't like pain. Our brains are hardwired to avoid pain and discomfort and to seek pleasure. And, and so what I'm saying is so foreign to what everybody you know, is really kind of used to doing is hey, that hurts. I'm getting away from it. No, that hurts. Take that pain and use it to make you stronger. What a great conversation, man. Terry, how can our listeners get in touch with you and get some more information, you know, get your book, uh, get everything that, that comes with Terry Tucker. Where can they get at you? Yeah. The, the book sustainable excellence can be bought anywhere. You can get a book online, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks, however, uh, wherever you get your books. I have a, a daily blog. I put up a thought for the day. And with that thought comes a, a question about maybe how you could apply that thought into your life. 
Uh, it's called motivationalcheck.com. I have recommendations there for books to read, videos to watch. My social media links are there as well. And you can also leave me a message at check.com. Sounds good. Terry, listen, one of the most resilient guests on the Self-Care You podcast. If you're listening to this right now, not only have you got some amazing experience from the athletic side of things, from basketball, but you got some experience in everyday life experience and what people will go through, the highs and lows. Uh, Terry, I appreciate your time and, and everything that you have given this audience and listening to. Thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me on, Scott. I, I always say it's nice people like you that allow me to come on and have a conversation with them. And, and hopefully our conversation will make a positive difference in somebody's life. And if it does, today's been a good day. Yes, sir. Be well. You too. Let's go. Another great episode with Terry Tucker. You know, we definitely leveled up today. I very much appreciate him coming on here and talking about, you know, adversity, resilience, you know, living your life to the fullest, making sure that you're trying to inspire. It's pretty amazing. Thank you to Terry Tucker and thank you to you for listening and supporting Self Care You. We appreciate it from any line that it comes. Like I mentioned earlier, second edition Self Care You Level Up Living shirts are coming. Check it out. You can get all the merch over at selfcareyou.net. We appreciate all the support. This is Self Care You, and we definitely leveled up today with my guy, Terry Tucker. Mm-hmm.